morning. My name is Ryan Koppel. I'm filling in for Jerry this morning. Uh, him and Sue are still uh, vacationing, some well-deserved time for rest and family. Uh, thank you, worship team, for leading us uh, in prayer and worship this morning. Uh, and as we think about Memorial Day, I know many of you are excited uh, to have some time off from work also, perhaps tomorrow. Um, but unfortunately, we're going to be talking about work <laughs> this morning. Um, so you may not be too happy about that, but God has some good things to say to us. Uh, so let me pray and ask for his help. Dear Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross to bring us to your Father Jesus, to give us relationship, to save us, to show us how to live. Father, we pray that in this time we would come to know you more. We would be encouraged and motivated. And Lord, as we celebrate Memorial Day, uh, God, we ask that we would remember those who worked, who served so hard and diligently um, and laid down their life for the cost of freedom, for the privilege that we here can stand um, in Memorial School um, to worship you and to pray to you and to read your word. And it's in your name, Jesus, that I pray. Amen. Uh, so tomorrow is Memorial Day. Uh, Memorial Day started uh, before the Civil War, actually. Um, men and women from the Confederate and the Union uh, would both go and celebrate the sacrifices and the deaths. They would go uh, to the cemeteries and they would put flowers and they would say a prayer and they would have, hold a service, a Memorial Day service, um, for the price that they paid. It didn't start becoming an actual day, national rec nationally recognized day, until after the Civil War. Uh, you see, the Civil War really ended with the abolition of slavery. If you've seen uh, the movie that came out recently, Lincoln, uh, you would know uh, what he did to sort of end the Civil War, but it's, there still needed to be battles to work out that effect of the abolition of slavery. Uh, and those battles cost the lives of countless men and women. But there's, these battles needed to be worked out. Um, and so when we think of working out, um, we think of kind of like this here. Uh, it's a dumbbell. <laughs> and uh, what we use a dumbbell for is to work out different muscles. So if I hold this dumbbell out like this, and I raise my hand towards my face, I can work out uh, my bicep. Um, I could also hold it up over my head and bend my arm down and up and work out uh, my tricep. So we think of work as uh, sort of expending some energy so that it can produce the results. Uh, I want my biceps to grow, so I work out my biceps. Um, and in light of that, uh, we have some things to talk about working out this morning. Uh, the passage is... Philippians 2, verse 12, 13, and 14. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand and we'll usher one your way. Um, but as you turn there, I want you to, to have the text in front of you. Uh, it's not going to be up on the screen so that you can see as we go through the passage. But first, I'm just going to read through the whole thing so we get an understanding of uh, where we're going, what's going on in this passage this morning. Starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, 
both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. So that's our passage. It starts with this word, therefore. Now, whenever you see therefore in the scriptures, you have to ask, what's the therefore, therefore? And if you look back in the context of what uh, Paul's saying, therefore, for, uh, you, you might remember uh, Philippi, Philippians 2 is talking about uh, selfishness. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Um, and then Paul reminds the Philippians of Christ's humility and Christ's incarnation coming, becoming a man. But he also reminds them of his exaltation. Um, it says in verse 9, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So uh, when we look at the therefore in verse 12, we don't need to jump back too far to think that he's talking just about do nothing out of selfish ambition. He's already expressed the therefore to that. The therefore in verse 12 is regards to uh, verse 10, which says, At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. See, Paul says that because Jesus is king, because Jesus is highly exalted, and because one day we will all bow to him and proclaim him as Lord, therefore there is something that we should do. Something, something should, be, should come of this. There is a response to Christ's exaltation. <clears throat> and before he gives this instruction, he gives a few qualifiers. Um, first, he encourages them. He says, my beloved, or some translations say, my dear friends. Um, and if you've ever had a friend who you've had to say a hard word to, you've ever had to uh, give some motivation to, you always kind of want to respond to them, say, you know, I really care about you, or you're my good friend. You're, you're close to me. And that's kind of what Paul does here. He's saying, you're my beloved, you're my f- friends. Um, I really want you to hear what I have to say to you. So that's the first qualifier. The second qualifier, uh, as you have always obeyed. Uh, now we kind of think of, you know, we want to encourage those who aren't doing so well and help them do better. Um, you know, we don't really, the people who already are successful, we don't need to encourage them. They don't need to hear it. They already know. Um, you know, I don't uh, sit up here and say, hey, Jerry, you know, keep preaching, keep keep reading the word. You know, Jerry's Jerry's a great preacher. I don't say to the band, hey, band, keep practicing your, <laughs> you know, your chords and keep practicing your scales and those things. Um, but the thing is, people who are successful in things, they understand the value of motivation. They understand the value of criticism. So for them, criticism is, is good. Um, so, so Paul here, he says, you have already obeyed. You've been, you've been doing a great job, guys. Um, but then he says, this, the third qualifier, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. You see, Paul was there. He spent time with the Philippians, uh, and, he, and he saw them obey uh, the scriptures. He saw them work out. He saw them live out uh, their Christian faith. Um, but now he's no longer there. He's no longer there to tell them what to do, to guide them, to direct them. They have to find some motivation, some guidance, some direction um, on their own. And so those are the qualifiers. Um, And now we get into what is he asking them to respond. The word is work out your own salvation. And see, work out 
we kind of become defensive when we hear those words work out because it proclaims this tendency we have against two erroneous theologies in our society. The one is we need to work for our salvation. Paul says work out your salvation, not work for. We can never do enough good works. We can never do enough good things. We can never come to church enough. We can never read our Bible enough. We can never evangelize enough. We can never work for our salvation. We can't earn it. Otherwise, grace would not be grace. And the other tendency we have is that I'm saved and there's no work. I don't need to do anything. Okay, Jesus is king. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that he died for my sins and there's no work. Paul says, work out your salvation. Salvation must be worked. The term here used work out, it means to work throughout, to carry it out to the end. Salvation, your faith, is to be worked out all day, every day, not just Sunday morning, not just while we're singing songs, not just while you're sitting here listening to me preach the word. It's to be worked out at 12 o'clock or when you leave here and you're driving on the road and somebody cuts you off. Um, It's to be worked out in those moments. You know, we think of working out like, all right, I got to do five sets of this and I have to work it out or I have to punch in at work and then I get to punch out and then I'm done. That's what we think of when we think of work. But he's saying it must be worked out all day, every day. And scripture commands us to obey. And throughout all of Paul's letters, he says um, things like fight and stand firm, be strong, walk. These are all commands, things that we are to do. Not to earn our salvation, not to earn our faith, not to sit here and do nothing, but we are to do, to work out our salvation. Jesus says as much, he says, take up your cross. You can't take up your cross if you're not doing anything. (laughs) You can't take up your cross because Jesus already died for you. You have to die for yourself. That's why he said, deny yourself and take up your cross. So the tendency we have um, is to think about this work as only an active work, only I'm doing this work. This salvation tells us that there is also a passive work. So there's active work, I need to do something. Passive work is that God does something through me. And that's what we see in this word, next, two, next three words, your own salvation. Uh, many of you may know uh, Charles Spurgeon, a great preacher called the, the Prince of Preachers, and he actually preached a message on these three words. The whole message was on these three words, um, and there's a lot packed in here. Your own salvation. Um, so what we tend to think about is, you know, don't be selfish. Don't um, be so conceited. Don't just think about yourself. But here Paul's saying your own salvation. What could be more important than to think about your own salvation. It's not a selfish thing to think about your own salvation. It's wise. Jesus said as much in Matthew 7. He said, take the log out of your own eye before you try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. You need to think about yourself. You need to work out your own salvation. You can't work out 
your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister's salvation. They can't do it for you. You must work it out. You can't work out uh, just the, the church's or religion's salvation. It must be your own salvation. And then the final words, uh, with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And so when we think of fear and trembling, we think of like, oh no, we're so afraid, we're scared, and we just have to humbly submit and obey. And we tremble because we've been working so hard. I mean, if I did like a thousand of these, you'd probably see my arm just like shaking. It would literally be trembling. And that's what we kind of think about. Okay, I'm supposed to work it out, and I'm supposed to be afraid, and I'm supposed to expend all of this energy so that I'm worn out and completely to the end of me. But the Philippians didn't see it that way. And, and the way that Paul writes the text, he doesn't write it that way either. It's just how we translate it. Uh, actually, when Paul writes, he says, with fear and trembling work out your salvation. In the Greek text, the attitude comes before the action. Paul says, you must have the right attitude of fear and of trembling before you can work out your own salvation. So what is this fear and trembling that Paul is referring to? Well, if we were to read Acts 16, which is about the start of the Philippian church, we would understand that it's all about fear and trembling. A fear and trembling because of the power of God, the amazing power of God. You see, Paul uh, was on his second missionary journey. He was traveling throughout uh, Greece, and he received this Macedonian call. He was sleeping, and God woke him up and gave him a vision of a Macedonian man saying, come here and help us. So God, in his power, spoke to Paul. Paul, go and help these Philippians. Paul goes there and helps the Philippians, uh, and he the first thing they, the scripture says that he does is they go to a house of prayer. Now, people don't pray just uh, because they think it's good. I mean, some people might do that. But these people were diligently praying every day to, to, to God. It says they were worshipers of the true God. Paul and his crew, they go there and they meet these people who are acknowledging the power of God through prayer. And they explain to them the gospel. And these people come to salvation. They come to faith in Christ. So that's the second area of their church beginning that the power of God is displayed. And as this church was growing, as this um, community of believers dependent on the power of God w- were expanding, Paul was going regularly to the house of prayer. And one day he came across a, a woman, a girl, who was possessed by a demon. And this, uh, this demon was speaking these Men are servants of the Most High God. And Paul, it says that Paul was annoyed by this. <laughs> and so he just said, demon, get out. And the demon got out. <laughs> power of God. Fear and trembling for the power of God to cast out demons. To, to pray to God to answer my prayers and to call a man to service. But not only that, because... Paul cast this demon out of this girl. Uh, Their owners didn't like that very much. So they said, uh, Paul and Silas, you guys are going to go into jail for a while because we're going to try to put your Christianity thing, we're going to try to keep it on the down low. We don't want you guys telling other people about how powerful God is. Uh, God God said, I'm powerful, and I'm going to show you that I'm powerful. So while Paul 
and Silas were in jail, while they were singing praises to God, an earthquake happened and opened the jail. And Paul and Silas could have been freed. But what happened? Maybe you remember. The Philippian jailer saw that the, the uh, gates of the prison were open, and he, was, he was, took his sword and he was going to impale himself. He was going to kill himself. He said, because the gates are open and these prisoners are probably gone, um, you know, I'm going to get killed anyway. I might as well just do it now. But Paul and Silas were there, and he said, do not harm yourself. That man later became a Christian because those men, Paul and Silas, were still there. They were trusting in the power of God. You see, the Philippian church knew all about the power of God. An earthquake brought out by God to save a man. So the main point um, for today, if you have uh, the notes before you, is spiritual power is greater than physical power. Spiritual power is always greater than physical power. And we see that here in verse 13. That's why he's saying, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. God works in me spiritual power that I am to work out. And I pray that you understand the grace in, in this statement. Grace to, to work out, to discipline yourself, what Jesus has done, and, and grace that teaches you that you can't earn it through your own work. For it is God who works in you. The interesting thing about these terms work, it's not like what we think about when we think of work. You know, I grab my dumbbell and I have to go do my workout. I have to expend some sort of energy so that I can produce these results that I want to experience. There's a difference uh, in these three words. We see in verse 12, it says, work out your own salvation. In verse 13, it says, God works in you. In the Greek text, those are two different words. The first working out is kind of like a math equation. We have to work out a math equation. If I were to put up on the screen one plus one equals, you would work it out and you would say two. Two plus two equals four. You would work it out. But if I just put up there one plus one, you would all know that it's two. It's saying the same thing. That's what working out means. You see, you have to work out, you have to bring it to completion, something that is already there, something that has already begun in you. You can't begin it. You can't start it. You just work it out. You just bring it to completion. Like the men who gave their lives during the Civil War, they knew that the slavery had abolished, slavery had been abolished, ended the Civil War, but it needed to be worked out. It needed to be brought to completion. The second word, for it is God who works in you, the second word work is like what we think about work. It's, ener- it's like where we get our word energy from. So God works in you this amazing divine energy so that you can work, so that you can use the energy that God gives you. Paul used this this word in in Romans 7. If you remember that passage, Paul's kind of 
just really confused about life. He's saying, uh, I do the things that I don't want to do, and I don't do the things that I do want to do. And if you read it really fast, you get confusing. What is he even doing? (laughs) Um, But in verse 18, he says, for no good thing dwells in me. I have the desire to do it, but I cannot work it out. I cannot carry it to completion. I don't have the ability to see it to the end. That needs to come from God who energizes me, who works in me so that I can work it out. You see, when Paul called his churches to work, to do something, to fight, to stand, to be strong, to take up the cross, he didn't just say those things in themselves. He said, fight the good fight of faith. He said, be strong in the Lord. Be strengthened in the Lord. Stand firm, knowing that your work in the Lord, the completion of the work of salvation, your work in the Lord is not in vain because you labor in the Lord. You work in the Lord. Uh, Jerry's going to be preaching on, on Colossians the rest of this summer. In Colossians 1, 29, Paul says, I labor and I toil. I'm, he says, I wear myself out with the strength that Christ works in me. So I am to work, I am to carry out it out to completion, my salvation, this thing that God began in me, through the power, the spiritual power, that is always stronger than the physical power. And we see this throughout uh, other verses also. Uh, At the end of Philippians, Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, To Titus, he says, For the grace of God that has appeared to all men trains us to live self-controlled and godly lives. These things that, that God works in me, I'm to take those things and work them out. Spiritual power is always greater than physical power. Now, I know you think, you think of a lot of great things that you can do. Maybe you can lift a thousand pounds. Maybe you can, uh, you know, solve a very difficult math equation. Um, maybe you, I mean, God has gifted you with some amazing physical tools. Uh, you're, you're a genius that you can create some microchip that can be sent into space, and this physical power that you can exert through your mind to send this thing into space is, is so amazing. Like, we think of t- physical power, and we're so amazed at the physical power. But if you don't believe that spiritual power is greater than physical power, go down to Bridge Kids and ask them who David was and what he did to Goliath. <laughs> They'll tell you all about spiritual power. Or consider Hebrews twelve thirteen says, Consider him who endured from men such suffering so that you do not grow weary and lose, lose heart. So that during your work, if you consider Jesus, what he did, what he did on the cross to perfect, to complete your salvation so that you don't wear out, so that you don't fear and trembling like you're dead from lifting weights or that from you've been expending so much of your own physical energy. He's saying, 
consider Jesus so that you can work out the spiritual power that God has worked in you for salvation. And next, he ends this verse. He says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. For his good pleasure. You see, we don't, we're not supposed to work out our salvation so that we can just be a fully devoted follower of Christ. That is the goal. That is the goal of all churches. That is the goal. That is the mission of this church. But that's not the reason. That's not the end goal. The end goal isn't for the salvation of other people so that because that they see in me Jesus, that they can know Jesus, and that they can be saved. It's not for any other human thing. It's for his good pleasure. It's for his desire, for his goodwill, for his glory. You see, God works in us something that we are to work out. And we, we kind of think about it sometimes um, like this. If I'm standing out here and I say, all right, I know I have to read my Bible over there. Uh, so so I, I, I'm over here and I, I, I read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to do that over here. And so now I'm over here and I'm thinking, I don't, I don't know if I really want to work out my salvation. I really don't know if I want to read my Bible. Um, but, but the people at church, they tell me I should read my Bible. And so, and so that's good. So I'm going to understand that I need to read my Bible. And now I'm going to read my Bible. That's a good thing. Or I could stand over here and say, uh, I, I know I need to tell my lost friends about Jesus. Uh, so, all right, I'm going to go tell my lost friend about Jesus and my own testimony in the gospel and what Jesus has done for me. Uh, but now I'm over here again, and I'm thinking kind of discouraged, and um, my own power is kind of wearing on me. But I understand, hey, uh, that person who told me about Jesus, about the gospel, about salvation, that really encouraged me. Um, so I'm, I'm going to I'm going to understand that evangelism, that preaching the gospel is an important thing. So I'm going to tell this person about Jesus. I'm going to evangelize. All right. Um, now another thing I need to do to work out uh, my own salvation. I need to uh, attend church. I need to fellowship with, with people. So uh, that's a good thing. That's fun. I always have fun at church. So I'm going to go, go to church. And I have a great time, and I learn about Jesus, about God, have uh, some fellowship. Uh, but next Sunday morning rolls around. I'm kind of not feeling good. I had a long week, and it would just be way easier to uh, to sleep in. And so, um, but um, you know, a friend calls me or sends me a text or an email or something. It says, "Hey, I'm really looking forward to seeing you." And so I'm going to think that uh, it's really good for me to to be at church. I'm, I'm going to do that. And so I go to church and I have a good time. And you see, what we kind of do is we always. Uh, take these things that we struggle with, these things that we are supposed to do, and we put something, some good thing in the way and explain that away as our reason for doing that which we are called to do, that which we are supposed to work out. But we forget the middle. We exclude the middle. What I should do is I should say, there's Jesus. Jesus died 
for me. Because Jesus died for me on the cross, I'm going to go and tell my lost friends about Jesus. Because I know that I should read my Bible. The church may tell me that I should read my Bible. My friends may tell me I should read my Bible. But if I do it in light of the salvation that I have received and in the power of God, not in my own power, I can understand why it is good. I can do it in his power so that when I actually do it, I am working not in my own strength. I am working out my salvation. I'm working out what he began in me. He began it over there and I'm supposed to work it out all the way through. Not, not forgetting what Jesus did, working out my salvation in his power. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, let me turn to Second Peter one second. Peter gives us a list, uh, a math equation, if you will of the things that we can do to add to our faith. He says, uh, starting in verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement or to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. If we add all those things together, that would be like working out, if we worked out that math equation, if we worked out all those things that Peter says to add together, that would be working out our, our faith, working out our salvation. But Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because of the amazing power of God, Church of Philippi. For it is God who uses that same power to work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I'm going to close with two things to consider, two uh, applications. And the first is from verse 14. Paul says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You see, Jesus is the king. Jesus is the Lord. And he has asked us to do certain things. Now he's just saying, do them without grumbling or complaining. God thinks of us as his children, as, as he has died so that we may have new life in him, so we can be in his family. And we're not to grumble or complain or argue and say, God, well, I don't really think that's the best idea. I don't really want to do that. You know, but I really wanted to go to this place. I really just wanted to do that. And uh, we kind of complain and whine. Paul says, do all things, not just some things, but everything, all things. You don't ever get to punch out. You don't ever get to stop working at being a Christian. But the amazing thing of grace is that God doesn't ever stop working in you. See, in Philippians 1, when Paul was introducing his kind of whole idea about living in Jesus, 
he says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Verse 6, Philippians 1, verse 6. God who began a good work in you, he gave you salvation. He will work it all the way to completion. He will give you strength. He will empower you. He will give you that work, and he will see to it that you work it, you carry it out to completion for his glory. So the first application, do all things without grumbling or disputing because God will work it to completion. Now the second aspect, uh, this is something that I've been learning about and I'd, I'd just like to share with you um, about this amazing dynamic of my own work and God's work in me. And we see that no more clearly uh, than the fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Think about it, self-control. Uh, uh, a scholarly, secular researcher said that self-control is control of the self by the self. It is you by your own self denying desires which you naturally have. And the same researcher went on to say that your self-control, it acts like a muscle. When you expend some of it, you lose some of it. It is a limited resource, this researcher said. He says that as you are given opportunities to exercise self-control, you expend some energy and you lose a little bit of self-control so that the subsequent opportunities to exert self-control are more difficult. So I'm working out self-control, um, and, and it's, it's getting difficult because I'm doing it in my own strength, and I'm constantly exercising self-control. But this same researcher, a secular scholarly researcher, made this quote. He said, Frequent exercise of self-control followed by the opportunity for full rest and replenishment may gradually increase one's total strength or self-control. You see that I'm, as I'm working out self-control, the fruit of the spirit of self-control, if I'm to work it out in my own power, in my own strength, my strength will constantly be diminished. I will constantly be trembling and being worn out in my own strength. But if I give myself opportunity for full rest in the grace of Jesus, in his own, my own understanding of him working out salvation, if I give myself opportunity to rest, I may gradually increase my ability for self-control. And so I just encourage you, as you consider working out your own salvation— Consider that it is God who works in you to work out self-control, to work out doing things without grumbling or complaining, to work out evangelism, to work out studying who God is, to work out worship, to work out giving, to work out fasting, to work out silence and solitude to work out perseverance and consistency and all these virtues that we are to work out. God works in you so that you can work out 
for his glory. Not for just so that you can be a better person, just so that other people can think, oh, that person's a really good Christian. For his glory is the reason that God gives us this spiritual power. Let me pray. Father God, Lord, we are so amazed by the power that you display in creating this universe, creating all things, creating our very being and giving us breath. And we slow down in this time and consider the power that is in us through the resurrection of Jesus, the power that raised him from the dead. We praise you that you have given us that same power. Lord, in your word this morning has spoken to us, encouraging us and asking us to work out that power for your glory. Jesus, as we continue to study your word and spend time with you, Lord, I pray that you would give each and every one of us an answer for the question of where can I grow? Where can I continue to develop an area in my life where I need to work out my salvation? And Jesus says, we do this. We, we ask that you would continually keep you at the forefront of our minds and that we wouldn't be serving or working out our salvation because somebody else said it was good, because we heard it on the radio, uh, because we heard it in a song, um, but because of the power of your great love working in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen.